Hey team, welcome to episode 11 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Before we get going, little story. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> so went to have lunch with the eight-year-old, the big eight-year-old today, and I'm still cool enough to go to lunch with her. And so she invited me to lunch and I had to be there precisely at 11 because their lunch is from 11 to 11.24. The precision in elementary school is ridiculous. And before I left, I told Chris, I said, I just feel like that's such a short amount of time. Like how can they even possibly eat in that amount of time? Like I was going to like say something to her teacher while I'm there. And I left and holy moly, their lunch is really long. I was like, I can't believe 24 minutes felt like 77 minutes. <laughs> and I thought your teacher is such an angel for sitting with you all day, but that's okay. I'll go to 77 minute lunches as long as she'll let me. It's so funny to hear that because at that age, I am with you. I went to all those lunches and I was feeling the same thing and it's, it's tough. And, and now I'm here at the, you know, Bella's a junior and I got the sweetest call from her last night. And that just said, Daddy, do you do you want to go to breakfast tomorrow? Aww. And uh, so we met at seven. And I thought so she was going to, like, I was kind of scared. I don't know, maybe she, she was going to ask for something. Ask for something, <laughs> you know, a divorce from dad. I haven't met a good dad. I don't really know what she was going to tell me. But we, she just loved me. And it Aww. just kind of hugged it out. And it, it, uh, it just really made, it really made my day. So if, so, so if Lila stops asking me to come to lunch, eventually she's going to re-ask me. Eventually, That's the, Christy, eventually. Okay. But you've got a while. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Well, uh, unfortunately, we're not talking about something oh, so okay. fun today. Okay. We're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people dread talking about. We're going to start a discussion about an integral part of the transition process. So we're going to talk about the legal documents today, right. from when we engaged, how much we spend, the various types of documents you're going to see. Uh, there's really a lot to dive into. So we're going to make this a two-parter. So okay. today is part one. And I think first things first, two big questions. When to engage someone right. and how much am I going to spend on that process because I feel like most buyers think this is a pretty pricey process. Sellers do. Yeah. And so I think understanding like how much to expect there is a big piece of it. So yeah. let's get going. So in your world, when are we engaging an attorney? Yeah. So we hit a little bit of this on, I think it was episode seven on the letter of intent. And that was just really just the, the importance of having uh, the letter of intent. That's really, you're just crafting out this mm -hmm. entire transition process. And so you know, your basics of your letter of intent, your, your price, so you've got your asset allocation, is it going to be a partnership, you know, how are you going to split the money, just the timing, just all the integral pieces. And so, again, just trying to do is you're trying to put that whole framework together between you and the seller or the seller's listing between you and the buyer, get every piece put together and to where you're both just very, very comfortable with, you know, I'd say 89% of all the major decisions. And then at that point, then you're going to the attorney. You know, yep. hopefully we can find the attorney that has a lot of experience in this area and be able to work with them so that they're working, you know, on the behalf of getting this mm -hmm. deal uh, done. So the answer is right at the end. Yeah. No. And I think defining your team members and mm -hmm. saying if who is going to do what in this process? Because like we said in episode seven, 
too many cooks in the kitchen Mm -hmm. will lead to a lot of confusion, a lot of duplicative charges probably. And if you are taking the role, attorney's probably not the best person to be negotiating and figuring out how the deal is going to work. They have a lot of strengths and a lot of good things they can bring to the table, but you don't need that attorney until you figure out all the details and then the attorney can add the value that they can add best. That's right. So So I had a call this morning and a really, really sweet young lady. She's working in her practice and it's a really successful practice and she's, I don't know, she's making probably $150,000. The business is ginormous, like $3 million. But the problem with this practice was not the value or anything. It was the fact that that the seller didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have like a CPA ready to like gear, hair style's gonna work, like a transition person, a train. They, they didn't have anybody. Yeah. And it's like, well, they kind of proposed something to to her and she's kind of thinking about it. And it's just this delay. And so yep. the now the there's a family member involved and the family member said, well, hey, uh, let me help. Oh, well, maybe there's a conflict of interest because I'm you know a family member. So here's this other person I work with. And, but they have zero experience in dentistry. So first of all, you, you, you're trying to get a person who doesn't know anything about dentistry, and then maybe you're going to get an attorney. Which attorney? Hire the attorney young person, or is it going to be the, the senior doctor? And what I was trying to point out to her is the fact that this business, it netted $1.4 million. Okay, mm-hmm. Senior doctors made one4 In this example, she's making $140,000. If I can just get her to buy this practice and put the right team around, the right attorneys, the right letter of intent with all the pieces together and how it's going to work, I can show her how to go to work, do the exact same dentistry, and literally bring home $30,000, $40,000 more thousand dollars a month. Mm. Okay? So the, the key is just making sure you've got these, these right people around. And so the dental attorneys were huge fans of, and we make a lot of them mm-hmm. a lot of money because we mm-hmm. send them a lot of business. But it's just a timing thing, and so typically it's towards the end. And I feel like the right attorney will also know what they are best at. Right. Um, the attorneys we work with will say when someone calls them and says, I just need an attorney, and they don't have any of that other stuff figured out, they'll say, you really need not me yet. You know, you need someone else to help with this process, and then I come in there later. So I think if you're working with the right attorney who understands what their role in the transition is, they will be the first to tell you, I'm not a CPA. I'm not going to tell you how to split money. I'll help you write it right. and make it in the legal agreement so it, it is what you agreed to, but right. I'm not the person to decide that. So I think that's a big deal. If you negotiate leases for a living, great. That's who I want to negotiate my right. leases. And attorneys looked at that. It's some 60, 70 page corporate document that's owned by a private equity uh, company. And it's just so lengthy and just detailed. I mean, I want someone who's looked at that document mm-hmm. already before, yeah. forward and backwards. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think that if you engage an attorney at the wrong time of the process and you don't communicate with them correctly. Or maybe you do engage an attorney at the right time, but you don't communicate the very important, and we've said it in multiple episodes, telling them, don't mess this up for me. That's right. Right? If you don't tell them what you expect from them and what, what's already been agreed to and that you are happy with the terms as they are, then it can kill a deal because then that attorney is going to come in and they're going to start renegotiating things that you've already maybe negotiated once and agreed upon. And that can create some ill will on the other side of the table. I had a client who, unfortunately, I was so sad. He 
negotiated. We were at the final stage. They agreed on all the terms. They liked each other. They had been communicating throughout the process. And for whatever reason, the seller decided to engage another attorney outside of the broker's attorney to just give it another read through. And we thought they were just going to give it a read through and assure him about some language. The guy was not dental specific and he came back with a ton of red lines and he had crossed out some really standard warranties and representations that sellers make in these dental agreements and we couldn't come to an agreement and it fell through and they both walked away after a lot of investment, a lot of time. And so, you know, the buyers feeling really kind of down about that. And I had to assure him that that's not normal, right? right? That that's not how most sellers work and that's not what this process is about, but it can, it can kill a deal. So the right time and the right communication are, are really important. Yeah. Like with any advisor, you're just looking for a humble person. Yeah. You know, that someone is just that cares about the deal, that just wants to do what's right, and it really listens to you and, and just has your best interests at heart. But we're not trying to look through, you know, lying 73 on page one and saying this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Whoever put this agreement together, you know, is stupid, is this and that. It's, it's almost trying to figure out. Like how the people just to work and just be nice. Oh it's, yeah. It's not complicated. I've never met an attorney who thought whatever was drafted by another attorney was exactly right with yeah, no changes, right. right? But the goal is to find the attorney that's like, man, eh, not how I would have drafted it, but it means the same thing. That's right. Right? We're not looking to change patient notification to patient acknowledgement letter or something, right? right? right. Like right. we're not looking to change those terms. And I think interviewing your attorneys when you're engaging them, interviewing multiple attorneys to yes. get feeling for personality and aggressiveness or non-aggressiveness, like you know how you are and you know that this person's going to represent you. And so making sure you talk with them and understand them and know their philosophy. And um, right. I think you can learn a lot if you just talk to a few. Don't just call one person and you wouldn't just take one offer from a bank, right? You're going to compare multiple offers. That's really good point. Call an attorney, call another one, interview them. So speaking of the financial piece of this, okay. how much to spend, right? right? And we get this question all the time and Number one thing that we generally say after we say make sure they're dental specific is if you can find an attorney that works on a flat fee, take it. Right. Why? Well, it's, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. Okay. And so people that work by the hour sometimes have a financial incentive to charge more. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, attorneys never look at anything mm-hmm. that just uh, they come out of the third year law program and the last thing you say right before they get the degree is anything you read, there's always something wrong. Find an error, <laughs> and, and, and you're going to start off at 175 and you eventually go to four, four and a quarter. So I like people that I feel comfortable with that they can work on you know certain documents, and it just needs to be certain flat fees that are involved. Mm-hmm. And I got it every once in a while, and we work on flat fees as well. Mm-hmm. And lack of better terms, we're going to get screwed on some deals as well. We're going to win on others. Mm-hmm. But I prefer that the relationship that we have, and I think the relationship that we try to introduce our, our clients to, that they know what they're going to get. Yeah. And so uh, we typically will guide them through that process and, and kind of set the deal up. So uh, what are some fees that they should plan on paying? So why don't you want to go through some of those? Yeah. So we'll talk about flat fees and then we'll talk about hourly too, because I think it's yes. important because there are attorneys out there that are solid and they're yeah. great and they're educational and they do charge hourly. But from a flat fee, so a few of attorneys that we work with, we kind of said, hey, what can someone expect to spend if they're going to go through this process. And some of the ranges that we got are if you're going to have to create an entity, right? So this includes some some other processes. But generally, if you're doing a walkaway sale somewhere in the range of four to 5000 I think is a good number to expect based on kind of the attorneys that we're working with. And if a lease is involved, if they're going to negotiate a lease for you, that's an additional cost of another two to 3000 mm-hmm. Partnerships, 
more expensive, Definitely. a lot more work. Partnership agreement itself might be another four to five to six, depending on the complexity. So those are the costs. And keep in mind, those costs are sometimes, if they're a flat fee, they're going to look at that. They want to probably see the documents that they're going to be reviewing or understand the deal they're going to be drafting if you're a seller mm-hmm. and say, okay, how many documents am I going to need? What are the parties that are going to be involved? What's the structure going to be? Because typically a flat fee attorney will look at the number of documents that in right. the number of processes that they're going to need to quote, and that's how they'll quote them. Right. And so I think those are good ranges. If you find the attorney that you really love, who's really experienced and you want to use them and they're not flat fee, that's okay. Mm-hmm. My advice would be to then send same thing, send them the documents, send them the terms, ask them, what do you bill per hour, first off, and how many hours do you anticipate it would take you to draft these if I'm a seller or to review them? Mm -hmm. And then I think if they can give you a range of and tell them to err on the side of caution and quote you high, because I think again, and to set a limit and say, if you start reaching this, I need to know, right? And communicate that with them because I think I'm okay with a billable attorney if you know what to expect. My problem is a billable attorney who doesn't really communicate and you get the bill at the end and you're like, I had no idea we were in the $10,000, $12,000, $15,000 range. That sticker shock is real. And then there's the maybe hard feelings of, well, what did you do to get this? You should be communicating all the way through. So you typically, you know, the majority of our listeners are going to be our, our young audience. And so many times our established doctors are paying for these acquisition documents and partnership documents for you. Where we have seen, and and if you can really write this one down, is I don't know that we need to go invest, you know, five and ten and fifteen thousand dollars to review a standard acquisition document. They're pretty standard. Especially if you're buying a practice from a broker who uses a template. Yes. The broker has probably seen that, or the the attorney you're using has probably seen that document a hundred times. Right. And there's probably not a lot of, if there's room for movement, they probably know what it is if they've been in this business long enough. Right. So, you know, we're talking about review of some of these documents. You know, you may be in the the couple of thousand range, but many times even uh, here at NDP when we represent our buyers, we're looking at some standard legal documents, you know, on your behalf. Do we always recommend attorneys? Sure, but well, there's just sometimes there are just standard agreements that we do feel comfortable uh, being able to look at. So the good news is that for the vast majority of the times here, you know, these senior doctors are going to be footing the bill for these documents. Yeah, no, and I've had a few buyers who have come back and said, hey, my attorney said that it's standard for the buyer to draft the documents, which in our experience is not true, right? right? When we represent a seller and we charge them a fee to sell their practice, part of that fee is those legal documents, and we cover the cost of those, and I think that's true of most brokers. Um, But I have met attorneys who say, hey, I would prefer to draft them because I'm in control of them, and it might maybe it takes me longer to review something someone else has drafted, I just always tell a buyer, that's not your obligation. If you want to do that, because maybe maybe your seller is dragging their feet and not, you know, or maybe they are going to hire someone that's not dental specific and you're worried about what the work product is that you're going to get, then maybe, maybe you're okay footing that bill. But I think that in most cases, as you say, sellers footing the bill for those documents because they are getting the purchase price, they're getting the benefit. He who right. reaps benefit, uh, you know, incurs the cost there. So yeah, so I think that's, important in understanding what you're what you're going to be out of pocket for that let me say one thing and i know we already talked about it but i have to say one more time i can't stress enough when we're going to these attorneys that we just need to make sure that one of the things you're telling them is just do not mess this up like i love this doctor i love this practice i love the location this is the greatest thing for me and my family i want to pay you a flat fee to guide me through this but essentially 
I'm not trying to start a fight here. I'm looking for just second set of eyes on something major that would protect me. I certainly want you know you to give me that advice. But again, I want this deal done, and I want it done as efficiently as possible so that I don't wreck this deal because there's a line out the door of people that would love to be in a practice just like this. Yeah, and the efficiency of of the attorneys are important, right? We don't want to need an attorney who's going to take a month to turn something around. Very important. And so, you know, that's part of your discussion at the beginning of your relationship is how quickly can we turn these documents around or, you know, do you respond quickly, especially if it's a competitive practice? So, absolutely. Okay. So I think we have covered um, when to engage someone and how much to spend. I'll kind of close this topic by just saying the attorneys that we work with are wonderful, right? And the ones that we refer people to fit fit parts of this. I've also worked with attorneys who I I don't work with regularly, who I've had the pleasure of working with from a seller perspective or from a buyer perspective, who are also wonderful. So I think attorneys... Some of them can get a bad rep, and a few bad apples can ruin the taste in, I know, our mouths um, when we work with some bad ones. Um, but there's a lot of good attorneys out there, and I think it's just talking to a bunch of them and, and being smart in that decision. It's just as important of a decision as who your CPA is okay. or who's negotiating that deal, if not more important. So now we're going to move on to talk about just big picture, because we're going to cover this really in detail in the next episode, in episode 12, the type of legal documents that you might see based upon the type of transition that you are going to be a part of. So walk away sale mm-hmm. is buying 100% of the practice. It can be a very as simple as one legal document, right? You can have an asset purchase agreement. And remember, that asset purchase agreement is what results from the letter of intent that you have already negotiated. It's a mirror. has more words, and it's probably three times the length of that letter of intent, right. but that's what it represents. Now, you can have an asset purchase agreement that includes the seller's work back yes. and is part of that document, or you can have the seller's work back be a totally separate associate agreement. Mm-hmm. But whatever documents you get should be a story of that letter of intent. And so usually we'll see an asset purchase agreement, and that's going to have everything in letter of intent plus some contingencies plus some standard representations and warranties for both parties indemnification language um, which we'll get into more next time it also will have a bill of sale which is for lack of a better word it's really the only document that really matters in the whole thing to be blunt because it is the actual document that transfers the sale so when you go to transfer utilities or the bank they look for that bill of sale document and it's just a one pager exhibit in the back there you'll have a restrictive covenant and non-solicit it might be an exhibit you might have a patient record transfer exhibit so that one purchase agreement might have a lot of language and might have a lot of exhibits mm-hmm. but that is the document that we're looking for for a walkaway sale and sometimes it's called a purchase and sale doc so it might have PSA or the APA there's a lot of different names for it but that is a document that will be part of a sale regardless of walk away or, or partnership but but primarily in a walk away and then of course if you are doing a partnership, probably the more important document than the purchase agreement is that partnership agreement. Right. And so let's talk about that document, not you know just kind of big picture, what is the point of that document? So when you look at partnership agreements compared just to your typical uh, APA, what APA, where you, how many uh, pages do you typically mm, you know, probably see? Probably put 30-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So we typically Maybe would 20. see on the, on the partnership agreements somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, 80 pages. So they're really, really yeah. long. And they need to be long because you're dealing with a lot more issues. There, there are going to be some things that may go wrong in the, uh, the purchase of the practice and maybe something was left off here or there. But when you're in a partnership and now all of a sudden you're splitting a couple of million dollars 
of collection. You need to deal with you know four basic parts. You need to deal with death. You need to deal with how we're going to deal with disagreement. You need to deal with you know how we're going to split the money and, and problems, meaning like a retirement issues. Like I'm going to slow down and you're going to keep working. You deal with disability. I mean, there's some big issues that need to be addressed in those partnership agreements. And so they're going to be more money to put together. You typically can plan on a eight, $9,000 bill for any type of partnership agreement, but they deal with the issues. And because I promise you, when you get into a partnership agreement, you will deal with one of those four issues. And so your agreement needs to spell that out. And I think it's just really important that you pick the right attorney there as well. The APA, I mean, brokers do it. I mean, there's just thousands of transactions that go through on the traditional APA agreements. But the partnerships, that's where I think that there's just a few people in the arena that really deal with them because they are complicated. So one of the things you want to make sure you're asking your attorney is, have you dealt with death? What takes place? Explain how this is going to work. Explain disability. Explain when two people are angry and they're ready just to split this partnership. How's it going to happen when I'm slowing down in the new valuation? What happens if if this? What happens if that? Can I just go buy a new uh, CAD CAM? What happens if I own the building and I want to charge a higher rent? I mean, you need to have this thing thought out. So before you go into partnership uh, with somebody, just again, make sure that someone is guiding you through that. And again, we want to really handpick that attorney that has many, many years uh, of experience. Yeah, and I think you want to play devil's advocate a little bit. You want to be negative. You want to say, well, what if I want to do this? Or what if he wants to do that? And, and kind of play that. And you want an attorney who has seen some failures, in my opinion, because then Definitely. and then they, they have a better understanding of why this document is so important and how to maybe safeguard Definitely. you in that situation. And so we can kind of go into more detail next time about some of those topics you talked about and kind of what you might see in different ways. And, and at the end of the day, that partnership agreement is more... I think unique than the purchase agreements and the APA or purchase and sale lock, whatever you want to call it, because every partnership is a little unique, right? There are some standard things, but at the end of the day, you can make your partnership whatever you want it. And so there's a lot more, I think, creativity that goes into those partnership agreements than a purchase agreement. Purchase agreement, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to sell something, and I have these standard kind of language that that cover these certain topics. So absolutely. So those are the, those are the standard documents you're going to see. Um, if it's a stock sale. We won't even talk about that because we do not like stock sales, right? Right. <laughs> if it's a stock sale, though, there are some other agreements, uh, you know, kind of a corporate resolution of shareholders, and there's yes. some other more complicated documents, but they're much more technical. The, the meat of it is still the sale agreement, and that's why we're going to focus on those. So next time, diving into key sections of the main documents, what those mean for you. And we're also going to talk about some challenges. We've kind of interviewed some of our attorneys to say, nice. what are the biggest challenges you face? Kind of what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen your clients make? And I know we both have a arsenal of stories of when things have gone wrong or right. And so we'll kind of dive into those as we talk about these sections of these agreements. So that's what we got next time. I don't know how you can make a legal podcast like uh, awesome. You did a great job today. Good Thanks. job. Thanks. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to next time. All right, let's, let's do it. <laughs> all right. That's all we have for today. Remember, check out our website for transition resources. Subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or like us on Facebook or LinkedIn. It's the easiest way to know when we release new episodes. Have a great week. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye.